I said, empty your mind. Be formless, shapeless, like water. Now, you put water into a cup, it becomes the cup. You put water into a bottle, it becomes the bottle. You put it in a teapot, it becomes the teapot. Now, water can flow or it can crash. Be water, my friend. My friend. Good evening, Crib Keepers, and welcome to the after party. Oh, fuck. Kind of, uh... You came in with a lot of energy. I did. I'm joined, as always, by a man whose favorite movie line is, It can't rain all the time. Ryan, what's up? See how I, I mellowed that out? You did. Yeah, I feel very calm now. Serene. Like water. I'm flowing now. That was a crash. <laughs> Uh, I'm doing good. How are you? Oh, I'm doing... Hey, I'm always doing good when we're recording, man. And this one isn't going to be... There's not as much uh, technical jargon. You can know just a tiny little bit about firearms, and you will be fine. So that makes me happy. All right. All right. You want to tell them what they need to know? Sure. But yeah, if you guys want to help us out, and we hope you do if you're listening... You can share this with somebody you think will like it because that's the best way, hands down, for it to spread. But you can also interact with it in whatever way your podcast platform allows. You can rate it, subscribe it, like it, leave comments on it. All those things are, they call it, engagement. And they all yes. help because we're, we're battling the algorithm. But you can also check us out on TikTok at Cryptique underscore podcast, Cryptique podcast on YouTube. You can check out what we're selling on CryptiquePodcastStore.com. And as always, you can get in touch with us directly and let us know how you really think everything went down with, with the Lee family and whether there really is a curse. Because I want there to be some kind of martial arts, mystical vendetta behind all of it. I'd rather he just still be alive. Yeah, and if not, I mean, he wouldn't be, be making movies anymore, but he'd be directing them or something. Who but, knows, dude? I mean, he could, at this point, his eyebrows could be two foot long like they are in all the kung fu movies. <laughs> <laughs> I told my wife, I'm like, man, if I can do that, when I get old, I'm growing my eyebrows out. I want to look like an old kung fu teacher. I want to look, I've told Kim, I've warned her. That when I'm old, my goal is to look like Master Roshi as much as possible. There you go. I mean, I gotta grow out that big old mustache and be water. Gotta get some Hawaiian shirts. I don't have any Hawaiian shirts anymore. Um, I want to get into something real quick though before we jump into this. So, here's the problem, Crypt Keepers. We always ask be for like, subscribe, follow, and all that, and it really does help us. But one of the reasons it's so important for this show and shows like ours. It's because there's no category for us in podcasts. There's just not. I looked at like eight different platforms and there is no paranormal. There's no conspiracy theories. It's like the closest thing is either like history or entertainment. You know, it's it's just so hard. And, and that being the case, we're not going to go buy ads for, you know, entertainment that's going to go out on entertainment podcasts. The people that want to hear what happened to Kim Kardashian don't care about Bruce Lee, theoretically. It's unlikely. There's probably not a ton of overlap. Right. And so it is so hard for us to even find a way to do any advertising at all because it feels like throwing money away when you're, you know, when there's no algorithm for you yeah and the best endorsement really is always somebody telling you about it absolutely all right that's enough of the business tonight we're piggybacking off tuesday's main show on the quote-unquote lee family curse with the story of brandon lee's tragic death on the set of the movie the crow what'd you think about the crow you know i can't remember the last time i watched it Mm-hmm. to be completely honest so I don't know. I don't have any any uh, 
particular feelings on that movie right now. Weren't they trying to remake it? Um, I know that there's a Crow 2 with somebody. Uh, they may have tried to remake it. I mean, it's based on a comic book. Well, I was just going to say, I know they recast it, but I thought they were doing another one. Right now, Hollywood is, as long as whatever you're doing is tied to an existing IP, it seems like they'll do anything. Yeah. Like Velma? <laughs> Regardless of your feelings on Velma, I haven't watched it, so I don't know anything about it. All I, all I know is what people have said, which is there's no Scooby-Doo. You know, they've changed the races and ethnicities of the characters, which doesn't matter, except that seems to be a main focus of it. Like, they, yeah. they tried to make a teen drama. They tried mm. to make a CW show, but they slapped the name. Well, they, they put a famous yeah. Scooby-Doo character's name on it so yeah. that people would actually watch it. Because if they just made it their own thing, they probably never would have got funded. So who yeah. knows if they remade The Crow today, what it would be. Or if they made a movie like Blade or, you know, mm. anything else. I mean, Blade Blade 1 and 2 are the ones that kind of, I think, cracked open superhero movies or comic book movies. Mm-hmm. And they're also two of my favorites. But, yeah, I, I wouldn't want to see them remake it. I was really excited no. at the end of, I think it was The Eternals, where there's kind of a hint. I think everybody Blade... was excited at the end. <laughs> but I think the if I'm remembering right the the end credit scene is supposed to suggest that Blade is coming into it. So you watched a 6-hour movie for that, huh? <laughs> I was excited about it at first when I realized that and then I was like, "Ugh, do I really want to see how they do it cuz it would probably be so like just dull and lifeless like a lot of those movies have gotten to be." Yeah, and say what you want about Wesley Snipes, he's a great action star. I mean, you know, people are always like, well, he can't act. And it's like, I mean, watch an action movie, dude. Come on. You know? Yeah. Anyway, we digress. Yeah. So Brandon Bruce Lee was Bruce Lee's son. He's He was known as an actor and martial artist and gained prominence in the 1990s as an emerging action star. Also very young. His movie career started off with some not-so-great movies, which seems to be the case in a lot of these, uh, you know, action stars' careers. But The Crow was the perfect role for him. Uh, Do you want to tell us a little bit about his breakthrough? Okay. His breakthrough came with his role as Eric Draven in the dark fantasy movie The Crow. Unfortunately, his life and career were tragically cut short due to his accidental death during the production of this movie. Born, as we said before, as the son of an icon and actor Bruce Lee, Brandon followed in his father's footsteps. Kind of like Bruce Lee did, too, because his dad was an actor as well. And an opera singer. Yeah, it's a little different. Ryan, are you adding cha-cha to your MMA training? No. Okay. No. No, ground and pound, no cha-cha, though. Oh, gosh. All right, go ahead. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) He received training in martial arts and pursued acting education at institutions such as Emerson College and Lee Strasberg Theater and Film Institute. These could be big names. I honestly don't know. I mean, if you're talking college football, you can say Ohio State, Georgia, Alabama. These could be big-time acting schools. I really Mm -hmm. don't know. Yeah, I think most people know Juilliard. Yeah, that's about it. Because, yeah, it made it into like some network TV shows. Mm-hmm. All right, so his journey into acting really begins with lead roles in the Hong Kong action film Legacy of Rage and a direct-to-video movie called Laser Mission, which sounds like sounds like kind of a like an Atari game to me. Dude, it is the dumbest fucking name you could give a movie. Laser Mission. Let's just, you know, laser was a cool word back in, what, like, 90 or like 87, whenever this. Yeah, the 80s. But this movie is also featured on a uh, Rift Tracks episode where they just make fun of it. And it's the, the Rift Tracks version's pretty good. Brandon Lee does fine in the movie. It's just a shitty movie, you know? I mean,. It's a, if Robert De Niro was in it, it would still be a shitty movie. So, you know, you can't fix everything. Well, he also appeared in two spinoffs of Kung Fu. 
which we discussed with Bruce Lee. Mm -hmm. Uh, The TV movie, Kung Fu the Movie, another creative name, and the pilot Mm -hmm. episode of Kung Fu the Next Generation. As he transitioned to Hollywood Productions, he starred in the Warner Brothers buddy cop film Showdown in Little Tokyo alongside Dolph Lundgren. Dolph Lundgren is another stud, right? Like, this dude is not only ripped, cut, I think he's a karate champion or a kickboxing champion, possibly both, but he's also got like three doctorates or something insane so yeah he was they even used him in uh arrow i don't remember what season but he was he played a character in that show who was a threat to oliver and he's still believable even at his age like yeah yeah, i believe this guy could mess up Stephen amell Stephen amell who's a professional wrestler Mm. like Anyway. Yeah, I mean, the, guy, the guy's a monster. <laughs> yeah, but the thing he didn't have is that it factor, and Bruce Lee personified that it factor, and Brandon was trying to achieve that. Well, I think he, I think Dolph Lundgren also could have been one of those people who was just typecast. After he played the Russian, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure yeah, he was he wasn't supposed to be deep. He was a machine. Yeah, I'm sure at least ten times a day somebody would come up to him on the street and be like, "Say it, say it." And he'd be like, <laughs> "If he dies, he dies." And it's like I must break you. <laughs> it's like I just want to go home. Uh, anyway, he's also so, cast in that uh, sweaty ass like Old Spice commercial now, where it's like a young version of him, and he's just got sweat pouring out of his uh, armpit. Kind of ironic, you know, given what we've talked about. <laughs> I haven't seen that one. Oh, it's it's disgusting. Like he's trying, like somebody, he's in an action movie, uh, you know, scene, and somebody, you know, like is falling off of a balcony in like a nuclear reactor or something like that, and he grabs him, reaches down and grabs him with the one hand as he's falling, and then it's just like someone has like a two liter. And they're just pouring sweat out of his armpit, down his arms and onto this guy's face. And the guy's like, you're not sweating, are you? And he's like, of course not. I used Old Spice or something like that. It's a (laughs) a disgusting, funny commercial. But anyway, (laughs) I need to stay on topic. Sorry. Yeah. So we can just add that Showdown in Little Tokyo was not, didn't receive the best reviews when it first came out, but became kind of a cult classic later. Mm Mm-hmm. He further showcased his talents in Rapid Fire, a movie that did not receive critical acclaim but highlighted his strong on-screen presence. But his yeah, and most... he couldn't save it. <laughs> yeah. His pivotal role came when he was cast as the lead in The Crow. And tragically, he was fatally wounded on the set by a prop gun, having already filmed most of his scenes. And despite his untimely passing, Lee's performance in The Crow earned significant praise, and the film achieved both critical and commercial success. His career trajectory bore similarities to that of his father. Both passed away before the release of their breakthrough films. So what about his early life? Gotta know when the boy was born. How about you tell us about his early life? Sure, I can do that. Brandon Bruce Lee was born on February 1st, 1965 in Oakland, California to Bruce Lee and Linda Lee Cadwell. His upbringing involved learning martial arts from his father at a young age. What, what, a, what an upbringing. The family's life was divided between Hong Kong and the U.S. due to Bruce's career, and Brandon developed an interest in acting while accompanying his father on set. Even as a child, he displayed remarkable physical abilities, reportedly being able to kick through a one-inch board by the age of five. Hi-ya. <laughs> uh, after returning to California, Brandon began training with Dan Inasanto, who we mentioned before, or that was one of Bruce Lee's students when he was nine years old. And teachers. Oh, yeah. He taught yeah. each other. Right, he- right. One of those collaborative relationships we were talking about before. Yeah. However, growing up in the shadow of his legendary father and training in dojos adorned with his father's images created challenges for him. It led to him temporarily leaving martial arts to focus on a career in soccer, which is, if you can kick through a one-inch board when you're five, you can kick a ball. 
So I guess yeah. Wouldn't it be hilarious though? Like he's trying out, and this would be like something that would totally be in a Bruce Lee movie. Like you know, he's walking down the street, and like this gang of soccer thugs challenge him, you know, to a fight, and he's they're like, you know, playing soccer, and he just kicks the ball, and it explodes, and they're like, and then they like you know start kicking him with the spike shoes and stuff like that. I think we just got a new movie. It may be. All right, sorry. Go ahead. It's what the new Karate Kid should have been. The one with Will Smith's son. <laughs> Shit. If it had been I've good. Never even, it, I'm never going to watch that ever. I refuse. <laughs> uh, all right. So he continued his education by attending acting classes, like we said, at the Lee Strasberg Theater and Film Institute in New York and later at Emerson College in Boston. His early life was marked by his father's profound influence, his own pursuit of martial arts, and his eventual journey into acting where he aimed to establish his own identity beyond his father's status. He wanted to be, you know, his own person. That's right. Not, not Bruce Lee's son. Cause, and isn't Nick Cage... Nick Cage was originally Nick Coppola. Isn't he related to Francis Ford Coppola? Uh, I don't know because Nick Cage has been alive for hundreds of years. He <laughs> is attempting to save the world with his movies. And... I don't feel qualified to talk on it. I don't know if he is, but yeah, I just looked it up. He's his nephew. Oh, well, and he had, so he had the name Coppola. Yeah. Um, but he, I remember an interview where they were talking about the name change. This was like in the nineties or something. I think, you uh-huh. know, why did you change your name? And he's like, cause I don't want people to treat me different. Yeah. Like, I, I don't want to be. That. Yeah. I mean, and it's like Emilio Estevez. Right. Yeah. Not, Sheen. Yeah. Anyway. Well, what's what's funny is it's like, um, so Francis Ford Coppola, uh, he directed the, uh, was it the Godfather movies? Yes, it was. Yeah, it was Coppola. In any case, we can agree that Francis Ford Coppola is basically, he is kind of renowned as a film genius, really. Like, I mean. Co- he was a co-writer too, though. So there you go. Even I mean. Yeah, I mean, he, he's, like, renowned for his artistic style and, mm-hmm. you know, the enigmatic movies that he makes. And it's like, uh, Nick, nobody's going to confuse you guys. Um, you're kind of a dick joke actor, and you're great at it, but, you know. All right, anyway, we will talk about Brandon Lee's career after a quick break. back group keepers all right in the mid-1980s brandon lee returned to los angeles and began working as a script reader during this time he was approached by casting director lynn stallmaster and successfully auditioned for his first credited acting role in kung fu the movie as we talked about and that's my mechanics name kung fu no stallmaster gotcha that's a joke yeah it's sorta (laughs) (laughs) All right, I'm uh, not gonna. I'm not gonna dissect it. Move on. <laughs> you're just not gonna laugh at any of my jokes now. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, yeah, this was a continuation of the Kung Fu series with David Carradine. I think he used a lot of chokeholds in this uh, movie, right? So Lee played the role of Kane's illegitimate son, and the film aired on ABC in 1986. And despite his initial reservations due to the martial arts nature of the film, Lee felt a sense of justice in being cast for a role in the show as the original pilot had been conceived for his father. As we talked about in the episode on Tuesday, which I can't imagine how awesome Kung Fu would have been if it was Bruce Lee. Right. In the same year, Lee starred in the movie Legacy of Rage, directed by Ronnie Yu. And that was his first leading role. Apparently it didn't go so well and Lee and the director didn't get along well. And that always, I don't know, man, that's, that's just tough because it's like, this is your first role. You know, maybe you should just kind of roll with this director and I don't know. But anyway, 
Lee was a young man wrongly accused of a crime. Legacy of Rage was a critical success at the 1987 Cannes Film Festival and performed well commercially, particularly in Japan. I have never heard of this movie, have you? No. Good. All right, then we're in agreement. Lee's yeah. performance <laughs> earned him a nomination for the Hong Kong Film Award for Best New Performer. Lee continued to take on roles to expand his acting range, so he didn't want to just be like Bruce Lee's self-expression was his martial arts. Now, he said that. This is how I express myself. I like to hurt people badly, quickly. No, he didn't say that, but... Um, but it was different for Brandon. Brandon wanted to be an actor that knew martial arts as opposed to, you know, a martial arts master that was also a good actor. That would be, you know, referring to Bruce. But mm-hmm. we talked about Laser Mission, where he played a mercenary on a mission. And the film received mixed reviews from critics. I mean, if you're on Rift Tracks, it's a joke, right? Like the movie is so bad. And they did Fist of Fury on Rift Tracks too, which I, I I didn't appreciate. But Laser Mission was awesome on Rift Tracks. So if you want to watch the movie, I suggest you, you know, go to rifttracks.com and watch it there. But uh, anyway, so it got mixed reviews. It was awful. Trust me. Um, but it went straight to, what do you want to, you want to add the uh, sound effect here? Laser disc. <laughs> Pretty awesome, right? You remember laser disc? Yeah, the size of a record, but can't scratch them. Yeah. I mean, it's even worse. Yeah. And you had to turn, what was it? Star Wars was like two discs. You had to flip one over halfway through, then put in the other, then flip that one. I, I'd never had one, but or I think I don't know. that if it were possible, it would be so much fun for a DJ to have like two turntables with laser discs on it <laughs> and could like, you know, mix the visual part. Yeah. Up. That would be cool. It's, it's a really interesting format if you're into that kind of thing, because it's an analog form of optical video, hmm. which is just, I mean, there wasn't anything else like that. You know, there were well, digital forms of like, like there was an HD VHS for a while. Really? I didn't even it know stored, that. It stored, yeah, it stored video as data on tape, mm-hmm. which is an old school way of storing data. But instead of being an analog video signal, it was just encoded as data. I mean, it just, it, it looked like a normal one for the most part. You had to have a special player. There are all kinds of weird formats out there that have existed in the past. And I don't know. Sometimes you can find them. Sometimes you can find weird stuff. Well, if you listen to the show you probably know that ryan just might have five or six old laser disc players laying around his house somewhere i feel like your house is like <laughs> a, a an electronics history museum you've got like the original texas instruments calculator like in a frame in your bathroom I, or something <laughs> next to your I do, gun <laughs> on the shelf behind me. I've got, uh, I have a Commodore 64, an Apple II, an Apple IIe platinum specifically. Oh, I have the blue, the Bondi blue iMac from back mm-hmm. in the day, like 2000 ish. I want to say is when they came out. I've got a Macintosh SE in the closet. I, I have reel to reel tape recorders. I have a, some of my coworkers on a conference call were talking about eight track. Yeah. I don't remember why. And I look over, there's a box of eight tracks right over here. Mm-hmm. I don't have a player that works, but I still have some tapes. So you're not wrong. And there's a teletype machine in the garage. <laughs> Let's get back to what we're talking about. So in any case, laser mission, watch it on rift tracks if you're going to watch it. But During the 1980s, Brandon resumed training in martial arts under the guidance of Dan Inosanto, who was, as we said, a student and teacher of Bruce Lee, and he was a master of Filipino martial arts. And Brandon brought a camera to training sessions to see what techniques looked the best on screen. So, you know, we see 
all these martial arts movies, you know, where it's it's things that look good on screen, you know, super fast, high, long distance kicks, rapid mm-hmm. punches, knocking people through, you know, glass and stuff like that. But I mean, if we watch real MMA, you know, unless somebody, you know, lands a, a strike, it usually ends up on the ground at some point. So anyway, uh, it was pretty smart of him to be like, hmm, well, this is something my dad probably did or would have done, and let's see what looks best. So that's cool. But there were discussions about Lee potentially portraying the superhero Shang-Chi in a film or television adaptation suggested by comic book writer, no relation, Stan Lee. Now, was Shang-Chi, are you familiar with that? Is that a comic book or? He's, yeah, Shang-Chi and the Ten Rings, although they're bracelets in Mm -hmm. the Marvel movie. That was what that movie was about. I don't know much about it other than that. I think my brother probably had a couple of those comics growing up. I was reading Batman and Superman and Spider-Man and stuff, and he was reading Doctor Strange and kind of some of the ones that were lesser known. Oh, good for him. Which is funny. I mean, just a quick comment. It's weird that these characters are the ones that were are the ones that were elevated because mm-hmm. Marvel was basically just Spider-Man, X-Men. You know, that was about it as far as what actually made them money on comics. But they took a risk with Iron Man, who was like a B-list character. Mm-hmm. and turned him into one of the most famous superheroes in the world. Yeah. So it's not so strange that they used... I mean, Shang-Chi <laughs> is how we always said it, but it's like Shang, Shang-Chi or Shang-Chi. There's, sure. there's some way that you're supposed to pronounce it, or, or at least when the movie came out, they were saying that. Okay, well, apologies for the mispronunciation. But yeah, very martial arts-based character with some mystical stuff. And in the movie, there's... I don't know. Some of the movement is very crouching tiger, hidden dragon kind of a little mm-hmm. bit exaggerated, not particularly grounded, mostly for aesthetic purposes. You know, it's not right. Bruce Lee stuff where you have to slow it down to be able to see what this guy's actually doing. Mm-hmm. At least the current, you know, the one that just came out. Sure. All right. So his career during this period was kind of a mix success, challenge, and an ongoing commitment to honing his craft, both in acting in martial arts. So he was one of the contenders in 1991 to play his dad Bruce in the biopic Dragon, the Bruce Lee story. However, he turned down the role for various reasons, and one of them was that he would find it awkward and strange to portray his father, particularly in the context of depicting the romance between his parents. Totally get it. Like, yeah, you know, that's a lot of people's... Uh, you know, childhood trauma is walking in <laughs> on mom and dad. You don't want to see that. Well, you, yeah, although you, you would think with that. Bruce, you would know what was going on. You wouldn't accidentally walk in, you know, slide the door into the wall, slide it open with the rice paper walls and hear. <laughs> That's where I thought you were going, but I didn't think you'd. Okay. No, no, don't do that. All right, so there were concerns about his physical appearance not matching the expectations of the role. Brandon Lee was a, you know, he was a ripped dude. He wasn't Bruce Lee because Bruce Lee did all these things that we talked about in the prior episode that were just solely for aesthetic purposes with his body, right? Anabolic steroids, Mm -hmm. diuretics, and it is what it is. You know, he wasn't, cheating in fights like he wasn't fighting like MMA and taking steroids you know what I mean like it I don't even know if it would have been illegal where and when he took it in any case you know nobody looks like Bruce Lee even Brandon but he's a buff dude or was all right hold on a second here so the guy that actually won the uh, job of playing Bruce Lee was named Jason Lee and you know he was no relation Uh, If you don't know, Lee is kind of like Smith. You know, there's Mm. just millions. So this guy, Jason Lee, said that Brandon told him about the role. Quote, he said, I wouldn't survive in this part if I treated his father like a god. He said his father was, after all, a man who had a profound destiny, but he was not a god. He was a man who had a temper, a lot of anger, who found mediocrity offensive. 
Sometimes he was rather merciless. That could be, and that's end quote, uh, that could be a problem as a parent, you know, like, hey, yeah, your kid wants to learn a little bit about martial arts. Okay, well, he's going to train six hours a day. That's not going to build a good relationship. But, you know, the finding mediocrity offensive is, that says a lot. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's more telling than the rest of it. Because if there are are any kids out there listening to this who don't understand your parents or why they want you to do certain things, it's not necessarily because they're wanting you to live up to some standard. It's probably because they want you to avoid mistakes that they made, right? For most father, I'm sure you understand that. Like you, absolutely. Don't don't do this thing because I did that thing. Yep, and it turned out badly for me. But mediocrity being offensive is very very telling. Brennan's lead role in The Crow marked a significant point in his career. Like we said earlier, it was his pivotal film. Uh, the movie, directed by Alex Proyas and based on the comic book of the same name, tells the story of Eric Draven, a musician who is resurrected by a supernatural crow to avenge his own death and the murder of his fiance. Pretty good. And if you like that kind of thing, you might check out the video game Murdered, where you are a ghost of a police officer who solves his own murder. It's actually really good uh lee's portrayal of draven became his defining role but tragically as we said he died during that and that kind of overshadowed the film's release but in preparation for the role lee was actively involved in shaping the character and the fighting style that would be used in the film he worked with the production team to refine the character's dialogue focusing on brevity and rhythm to create a threatening presence so not just kind of blathering on or anything like that but being uh like us i don't know probably more of a stoic <laughs> character <laughs> yeah like us <laughs> so the fight choreography was designed to be unique and distinct from conventional martial arts movies reflecting draven's supernatural abilities and lack of formal training his background in martial arts allowed him to incorporate his expertise into the character's design without it being a central aspect of the story he did undergo physical training and kind of a physical transformation to embody the character's appearance though and to do this he went on a strict diet to shed bulk and emphasize a more rocker like physique so i guess we know what that means emaciated yeah it's not an innuendo it's like the the rock star of the time Uh, He engaged in cardiovascular exercises weight training for muscle elongation and flexibility and aerobics to rapidly lose body fat His commitment to the role extended to uncomfortable situations such as submerging himself in bags of ice to experience the sensation of resurrection and dousing himself with cold water before rain scenes to enhance authenticity. Now, think about that. I guess it would really, you would feel tortured, right? Like this is Mm -hmm. such a huge impact on your body that while you're acting, that kind of torture comes out in your acting but you're willing to yeah. go to these extremes to achieve that and you know it's not christian bale but it's pretty crazy right. so despite the challenges and demands of this role his dedication and performance were highly regarded by the film crew his portrayal of eric draven showcased his ability to fully immerse himself in a character and contribute to the creative process but as we said before his untimely death during the filming of this movie impacted the film's legacy and marked the untimely end of a promising career. While filming the movie, Lee died from a wound on set caused by a firearm malfunction. The lead tip of a bullet from previous scene had stayed in the barrel of a handgun and ruptured a major blood vessel when a blank was shot at Lee. So this is something that can happen, and it's one... I, I don't even think they're supposed to aim at the person they're supposed to be shooting with a blank anymore. Well, it didn't stop old Alec Baldwin. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's where I learned that. They were saying you're supposed to aim kind of at a certain angle away, but they'll use camera trickery. Kind of in the same way they make the hobbits look small. You know, that's supposed to be just like a camera angle and a perspective. If you're, you know, following the rules and you're -hmm. you're shooting off to the side, that's one thing. But, I mean, like this dude... um, Baldwin was fucking around and you know pretending like he was shooting people. And, well, and if Lee, we don't need to if, get if, into that, but yeah, if Brendan Lee is like taking ice baths and things like that to 
put himself through what a resurrection might feel like, mm-hmm. he may be like, no, point that thing at me. Yeah. Or else it doesn't feel real. But yeah, blank is just gunpowder. So anything that's in the barrel is going to be propelled out like a bullet. The lead tip from a bullet was stuck in the barrel of this gun, ruptured blood vessel when it was fired at Brandon Lee. In 1994, the Crow opened at number one in the United States, grossing 11.7 million and ultimately grossing 50.7 million. It was the most successful film of his career and is considered a cult classic. Due to the source material and his fate, it is often described as a goth cult film. But we'll talk more about his death after a quick break. Welcome back, Crypt Keepers. All right, so... I want Ryan to explain how a bullet is constructed, because just in case you don't know, this is important for what we're going to talk about now. So, uh, okay. (laughs) So gunpowder isn't technically explosive. Technically, it just burns very quickly, which is why you have like trails of gunpowder left in movies that they can light and it follows a path that doesn't all just explode at once. Gasoline is explosive. But a bullet generally is a brass casing filled with a certain amount of powder that is appropriate for the charge you're going for. Uh, And at the end of it, the closed end is a primer that is struck by the hammer of the gun. And on the other end, a bullet is packed into that case. The point of that being when the hammer strikes the primer, it ignites the gunpowder inside. That burns quickly, and it's the rapid expansion of gases that fires that bullet out down the barrel. The barrel is typically rifled nowadays, which puts a spin on it and improves accuracy. Perfect. So now that you have a basic understanding, we're going to go through the steps of how this tragedy happened. And I think I can speak for Ryan too when I say I do not understand why there is ever live ammunition on a movie set. I just don't understand it. You I I can I can imagine it in the old days. Hmm. Cause you can hear the difference between a blank and a and a live round. It makes a slightly different sound. Okay. But 90% of people aren't going to notice. And if you edit the sound, I mean, the sound's going to be edited anyway, so it's not going to make... Like, you could tell the difference between a blank and a real bullet if you were there in person. But in a movie, you're right. There's no reason to have real bullets unless you're specifically shooting a scene where you're firing at something. Right. And in that case, you should be using different weapons. It should be different set, different day. Yeah, different place, everything. I mean, there are so many safety protocols that could be in place. When you go shooting, one of the things you should always do is clean your weapon for one, but also Mm -hmm. make sure the barrel's okay. Mm -hmm. Because if you have a misfire where that bullet lodges in the in the barrel somewhere, you could the gun could explode. Yeah, that's no fun. So it's it's a good idea to have like a a light or something to shine. You shouldn't look down the barrel, but you can get like lights that you can stick in the bore. Yeah. And if you can see that light coming out, you you know, it's probably not obstructed. Right. All right. He was filming a scene for the crow. And in this scene, he is shot and killed. Now, if you're not familiar with the plot, he's shot and killed. And then a supernatural crow comes and finds him and basically resurrects him so he can go and get revenge on these guys. In the scene, Lee's character walks into his apartment and discovers his fiance being beaten and raped. And it's it, this is a brutal movie too. The, these thugs are, are very brutal. So it's not for the faint of heart. But one of the thugs was, you know what? I feel like this doesn't fall on him. You know what I mean? There should there's a person on set who handles the weapons. Yeah. I, I mean, there's no evidence that there was any kind of animosity between the two. There's no evidence that 
this guy, you know, was paid by the triad or anything like that. And there's no evidence that this guy has any idea what he's doing with the gun. You know what I mean? I mean yeah. Yeah. So, they're supposed to hand it to him and say, it's, you know, it's ready to go. Do your thing. Right. So anyway, he fires a Smith and Wesson 44 Magnum revolver at Lee's character as he walks into the room. So what's the difference between just a regular round and a Magnum? Much more powerful. Right. I, I have uh, an old revolver that I inherited, a mm-hmm. Smith and Wesson Model 17, which is a 357. They were used by police for a little while because they could use 357 ammunition and 38. Yeah, so 38 special is a fairly powerful round. It's what the police use for a long time. Mm-hmm. But the difference between that and a 357 Magnum is huge. Yeah, it's it's very evident. And yeah. Even in the way the gun pushes. Because if you're not holding it right, it'll try to jump out of your hand. <laughs> Smack you in the face. You um, know, it'll, it'll at least like hit your knuckle. You can mm-hmm. have the um, trigger guard kind of hit your other you know, hit your inner knuckles where you're holding it because it kind of blasts backwards. Yeah. So I have heard that a 357, which is a smaller round, but still a Magnum, mm-hmm. uh, creates enough of a shockwave that if you get shot in the foot, the shockwave could be strong enough to stop your heart. So yeah. that's what we're yeah, talking that about with with these uh, weapons. These are not, I mean, it's... It is what it is. These are high-powered rounds, and the likelihood of surviving, you know, a, a center mass hit with one of these has to be, you know, very small. So, in a shoot prior to the fatal scene, the gun was used as a prop, as a real revolver. So, basically, if you're looking at a revolver, you know, and and you're on the business end, you can see the rounds. They want it to look real, so they they you know don't want it to look like they're all empty. They want them to look like they have uh, the actual slugs in them. Basically, they took live cartridges and removed the slug, and then emptied all the gunpowder out and replaced. Well, first they were supposed to go through and hit all the primers. So, because you can't see the primer, so it doesn't matter. But the primer needs to be ignited, right? So there's even a primer could cause enough force at some point to, you know, push the slug out. Yeah. So they were supposed to do that. They were supposed to, you know, hit all the primers and they missed one. So what happened was as they were, you know, firing the gun, you know, obviously it's not going to be like, Uh, take one and we're done they're going to be firing it repeatedly and one of the primers went off and so what happened is that pushed the slug into the barrel hold on that's a squib load yep so at this point uh nobody realizes that this uh slug is stuck in the barrel during the fatal scene Uh, The guy was going to be like 15 feet away. So that's super close range to take anything, but especially a magnum round. But Mm -hmm. um, obviously they wanted this to look really cool, right? So they just, for these blanks, they loaded them up. They, you know, put cotton in the tips because when the cotton burns on the way out, it makes like for a cool flash for the scene, right? Right. It was all blanks loaded up and they didn't realize that this slug was squib loaded into the barrel. (laughs) This is where the firearms expert failed miserably. I I just don't understand. Like, you know, being safe with a firearm is like 20 steps, right? It's not Mm -hmm. like you have to do, you know, 10 hours of overnight work to make sure the gun's safe. There's a a very short list that you have to go through. And this firearms expert didn't do it. So basically what happened is it was about the same as just firing 
a live bullet because the the gunpowder had the same amount of force and pushed the slug out and basically it's just a you know a little bit less force than what it would be if it was fired intentionally and it hit Brandon right in the abdomen and apparently he was supposed to fall uh, forwards and he fell backwards and that was kind of a uh, red flag, I guess. And yeah, the director, you know, cut the scene and they thought for a second he was just joking around. But Jeff Amata, I'm pretty sure that Jeff Amata was a stuntman that worked with Brandon's father. And, you know, obviously he was concerned. He knew something bad had happened. And, you know, he saw that Brandon was knocked out and gasping. So they had a medic on the scene, Clyde Basie, which is a, you know, sounds like a old trumpet player, right? Uh, he went over and shook Lee to see if he was dazed by hitting his head during the fall, but he didn't think Lee had been shot and there was no bleeding that they could see at that point. Uh, Basie took his pulse, which was regular, but within two to three minutes, it slowed down dramatically and stopped. Lee was rushed to the New Hanover Regional Medical Center in Wilmington, North Carolina. Attempts to save him were unsuccessful, and after six hours of emergency surgery, Lee was pronounced dead on March 31, 1993, at 1.03 p.m. He was 28. And the shooting was ruled an accident due to negligence. So, I don't know. How do you feel about that? Does that seem just to you? Yeah, because if it was manslaughter, it would be that the other actor killed him unintentionally, but he was just doing what he was told to do. Right. You know, point here, save his line, pull the trigger. I think now they're even, even the actor, I was saying before, like an actor isn't necessarily going to check it, but I think now they're supposed to. And this might be since the whole rust accident that you've alluded to, but... Well, I think, listen, if you're an aspiring actor and you're going to be in a movie that involves firearms, it's going to make you a better actor to go take a concealed carry class, learn how to take a gun apart, learn how to clean it. That's going to make you more authentic in the scenes and it's going to kind of give you a leg up so something like this doesn't happen. It should be required by anyone handling a gun on a set to, you know, take a safety course. But hey, what do I know? One of the one of the things that bothered me, kind of a pet peeve from the mm-hmm. Fast and Furious movies, at least early on. I don't know about the new ones. I never saw one. I can you believe that? Yeah, because right. you're smart. <laughs> but there's a, I don't know, just a couple of the characters when they'll fire a gun, they mm-hmm. blink really hard, mm-hmm. which is what you would do if you were actually firing a gun and you hadn't done it before. But some of these people, I mean, they're supposed to be like hardened criminals. Right. And it's very clear that they're not familiar with firearms. You know, it's the same situation. They were given this prop, told, you know, say this line, aim this way, shoot. Yeah. And they're just blinking super hard the whole time. It's like, okay, I can tell that you've never, probably never done this before. I mean, maybe some people can't get rid of the blink, but everybody I've seen that shoots is, you know, semi-regularly. Yeah. They don't have it quite like that. Yeah, I think definitely some kind of safety course. Just know what it should feel like, know what it should sound like. And especially absolutely in a lot of movies and TV shows, when somebody like picks up a, ga- a gun and aims it at somebody, mm-hmm. it's making all these like clicking noises, like pieces of metal are just like shaking around. Have you heard that? I I have. Like it's almost like a sound effect added to it try is, and yeah. Because I mean, you cock a gun and that's you know, that's basically it. You rack it yeah, or, or, you know, whatever. It's not like. Yeah. If you pick up a gun and it's making all those noises, put that gun down. <laughs> right. That gun is broken. There's yes. something wrong with it. They do not sound like that. They are silent unless you do something with them. Absolutely. Now, it just seems like this was so easy to avoid. It took almost no effort for the gun expert expert to look down that barrel and especially i mean if 
never look down the barrel of a gun, obviously. But I mean, if you've got the, uh, you know, the revolver open, I mean, you could, you don't have to look down the business end. You can look down the, you know, straight down the barrel from the chamber and, and see, you know what I mean? It's just, yeah, depending on the kind of barrel, but the kind of uh, revolver as to where it breaks. But yeah, there are a lot of ways to check it. You can just shine a light in there, like I said earlier, and you can see yeah. if there's something blocking it. You can just take a little, I mean, you can just take a basic cleaning tool and mm-hmm. stick it down. You could, you could take a pipe cleaner yeah, and stick it down there and be like, oh, there's something stuck. Like, let's clean this out before we do this next scene. There was something available on the set for him to check that with. yeah he's like hey so, does anybody have a pencil this is a 44 magnum it's a big barrel does somebody have a pencil or a pen that i could stick down here yeah no nothing we have nothing cylindrical long we don't have a i don't know anyway i guess we need to move on it's just sad but in any case uh he was buried next to his father at lakeview cemetery in seattle washington and some of the people that showed up were Kiefer Sutherland, Lou Diamond Phillips, The Hoff, of course, Steven Seagal, always looking for camera time, mm. uh, David Carradine, and of course, Melissa Etheridge, because I don't know why. But in August 1993, Lee's mother, Linda Lee Cadwell, filed a lawsuit against the filmmakers alleging negligence in the death of her son. That poor poor woman yeah think about you know she's lost the two most important men in her life you know she only had them for about 30 years that's sad yeah the suit was settled two months later under undisclosed terms so we really have no idea i would like to know because i mean you can't put a price on someone's life but you can put a price on somebody severely fucking their job up and somebody dying from it. And I guarantee these studios have insurance for this kind of stuff. So I hope she got rich as fuck. Well, and that price is also, you've now put a price tag on this mistake in the future. Mm -hmm. So even if you have some psycho running a studio who doesn't care about people's safety, they now know all right, it's we have to avoid this mistake or it's going to cost X millions of dollars and all this headache and legal fees and bad yeah. publicity and all this other stuff. Yeah. That's a great point. In an interview just prior to his death, Lee quoted a passage from Paul Bull's book, The Sheltering Sky, which he had chosen for his wedding invitations. And it's now inscribed on his tombstone. It says, Because we don't know when we will die, We get to think of life as an inexhaustible well, and yet everything happens only a certain number of times, and a very small number, really. How many more times will you remember a certain afternoon of your childhood, an afternoon that is so deeply a part of your being that you can't even conceive of your life without it? Perhaps four or five times more? Perhaps not even that. How many more times will you watch the full moon rise? Perhaps 20, and yet it all seems limitless. We reduce ourselves at a certain point in our lives to kind of solely pursuing things that we already know how to do. You know, because you don't want to have that experience of not knowing what you're doing and being an amateur again. And I think that's rather unfortunate. It's so much more interesting and usually illuminating to put yourself in a situation where you don't know what's going to happen than to do something again that you already know essentially what the outcome will be. Be water, my friend. Final thoughts after a word from our sponsor. Welcome back, Crypt Keepers. War booty? Be water, my friend. Holy shit. 
That's badass. What are your final <laughs> thoughts? I had to get you in the mindset, in the mood. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, I think this is another tragedy. Mm-hmm. It is really strange that both of them died uh, right before their most famous film came out. Yeah. And I think that's part of why both of them are kind of immortalized. Yeah. Because I've seen movies and documentaries about this kind of thing that, that the most... The thing that immortalizes a celebrity, actor, or athlete, whatever, is to die in their prime, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. You know, when you never... They're there, they're great, they're at the top, and then they're gone. You don't mm-hmm. see a decline, you don't see them like... You know, there was never a point where... We, we never got to see Bruce Lee in a movie where it's like, oh, is he maybe a little bit too old to be doing this? Or, <laughs> oh, he's kind of slowing down or anything like that. Yeah. So it adds to this mystique. And mm. especially with Brandon Lee in The Crow, like, you never got to really, as a fan, know too much about what he was like. I mean, especially back then. You know, mm. you don't have the access to celebrities in the... 70s to the 90s that you did after the 2000s yeah tmz wasn't patrolling hollywood at the time right and nobody was doing amas on reddit or anything like that you didn't get to see bruce lee's political views on like hong kong and their relationship with england and china and all that stuff on twitter or x or whatever it's called now yeah so it it's tragic but it's added to this mystique that they have that will you know, you'll never get more evidence of what they were really like. Right. Yeah. It's, it's like a firework, right? It just explodes and it's gone. And that's what these, these two kind of did. They lived a full life, maybe not, you know, necessarily having the family they wanted and, and, you know, the things they wanted in their future, but, they were at the pinnacle of where they were trying to get to movie wise, uh, career wise, martial arts wise, all that yeah. stuff. And yeah, it's the, you know, what could have been, I think is what keeps people coming back. Yeah. It's just like James Dean. We were talking about him yesterday after we were done recording mm-hmm. and he's another celebrity that never got old. Mm-hmm you know or Kurt Cobain or any of these other people you know they 27 never got old yeah they never they never stopped doing what they were doing or got worse or anything else they just they're just gone well some die way too young some just won't go away I'm looking at you Seagal ironically Bruce said be water which is what ended up doing him in Bruce found mediocrity offensive, and mediocrity from a gun expert is what cost Brandon his life. Tell them what they need. If you guys want to tell us about a celebrity that we didn't think of during this little conversation, or if you have more information or theories about either Bruce or Brandon Lee, let us know at crypticpodcast at gmail.com. And I don't remember if I said at the start, but check out Parabox. Link will be in the show notes. We always talk about them. They've been working with us for a while. And like, share, comment, subscribe, rate, whatever you can do. Everything you can do helps us. There's no, like Jay said, there's no uh, conspiracy category. They should make a fake news or misinformation category and we can go in there. <laughs> Shit. I bet the coolest stuff would be in that category. They just need a like a truther category. There and that go. could cover paranormal, that could cover conspiracy theories, anything in I think that's all I've got. Be water, my friend. All right, what do we always say? Don't sleep. Crypty. Good evening, Crypt Keepers. <laughs>